Warning, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander viewers are advised that this podcast contains voices and names of Aboriginal people who have passed away. I had really hoped that the artists would be here this morning because obviously that would have been a much richer experience for everybody to hear about these stories from those people um, whose country the stories come from and who are the, the custodians of, of the stories and they send their apologies, um, just purely logistics that they couldn't be here today. But I'm very happy to have in the room Francis Coford who has been important to the, very important to this project, central. Um, she's a linguist who's been working in the East Kimberley with Jadigan languages um, for 40 years or over. Um, and it's very much Frances's work with these stories, with the artists and um, her transcription, translation, interpretation of these stories that's allowed us to put this project together. So... Um, I'm very happy to have her here, even if to just to correct me on things. <laughs> so welcome, Francis, and thanks for coming. So this show, going in constellations of meaning, um, it's it's very much more than an exhibition of paintings. Um, it's a project that we've been working on for all of this year. Really, in, in, and in some sense for, for very many years, including Francis's work documenting stories. So it's a project with different parts, and I'd like to talk about that first because it's a really important aspect of what you see now is um, the richness of also what's, what's behind it and what's, what this has come out of. So um, it's a project about one story, and, and I'll go into very much more detail about that story and, and why, why it was chosen as the subject of the show. Um, but around this one story, um, we've undertaken some really important processes within the community. So it's a project that was always going to have a public um, outcome, and, um, bear fruit that could be shared with the community, with communities outside of Warman. But it was very much about um, processes that are important and meaningful to Gidja people on the ground and honouring the sort of priorities that, that Gidja people have in their own community. And one of those that comes up all the time working with older Gidja people is the importance of sharing their stories and their knowledge with younger generations and that informs all of what we do at, at Warman Art Centre. It's, it's, it's a really central idea and it's something that, that the elders are very committed to and very serious about. So with this show, um, the paintings of course are, are an important expression of that story, an important vehicle for sharing those stories, not only with, with their young people but with communities all over Australia and outside of Australia. Um, the recording of the stories was, was a really important part of the process as well. So, in Gidja language, so these artists are Gidja speakers, um, and Gidja is a language that covers country that Warman is a part of, but it's a very, it's a very large language group in the East Kimberley, up in the north of Western Australia. Um, and it's it's an endangered language. There are fewer and fewer speakers as as um, 
time goes on. And a lot of these painters are some of the, the most serious, fluent speakers of this language. So the knowledge that they hold is absolutely crucial to the survival of that, of that language. So the speaking of these stories in language, um, the recording of the stories, their translation into English has all been an incredibly important part of the project. And it's something Francis has been working on for a long time. So the Jack Britton story we've got here was recorded in 1988 um, and right up to the Phyllis Thomas story, which was recorded this year. So recording the stories in language um, is really important because it captures the very um, rich um, body of knowledge that, that, that a story embodies about all sorts of aspects of Gija life and Gija country. So that was very important. And the recordings that we made as part of the project, but also that Francis made, became the basis of language teaching. We've got a weekly language program at the Arts Centre where older people teach language to adults. So our arts workers are part of that program who are in their 20s right up to their 40s and 50s. Um, and the stories became... Um, the language that we used in some of those sessions. So not only are they learning words, grammar, you know, learning about discourse, but learning about all those important ideas that that story holds and encodes. So that was a very important part of the project. And um, <clears throat> bush trips. Some of the parts of country that this, sto this story covers are very remote from warm and very difficult to get to. The roads have been washed away and not maintained. So some of the sites hadn't been visited for a long, long time, decades and decades. Um, so the project facilitated a couple of bush trips. One was by helicopter. There's one very important site in the story which we talk about and which is depicted in that painting behind you. Um, it's inaccessible by road, so Rusty Peters, a senior artist and storyteller took his nephew Ralph Julie to that very site um, which no one had seen for a long long time so that was that again was a, a very special trip a once in a lifetime kind of trip of an older person taking a younger person to the actual site to see that place feel it under their feet and know it in that way which is you know really irreplaceable you can't get that from looking at a, paint, at a painting, listening to a story even, or looking at a book. It's just absolutely crucial and very special. So, And the other part was, that was the catalogue. So in that catalogue... You can hold that up for me, Suzanne? <laughs> um, are the stories that you hear in the exhibition that we've recorded. Um, so this is, becomes a really important resource for language into the future. Um, um, and there are some really great essays as well. One by Ralph Julie, Rusty's nephew, and three more bilinguists, Francis Coford, David Rose, and Thomas Saunders, who have all worked with Indigenous narrative, um, not only in the Kimberley, but in the Central Desert as well. So that's the overarching... Yes, the introduction by Anna An introduction. <laughs> So that's to give you a sense of the richness of the project and also the, the way in which it's grounded in what, what is really important to Gija people and some 
urgently important in, in some aspects as well. So I'll move on now to the story itself. Um, the story Garmi is the word for moon in Gija, but was also the name of a, a man in the Ngarangarni. So Ngarangarni is the word in several Kimberley languages, or all Kimberley languages for the dreaming. Several. Yeah. So the Jaya languages, which Hijiri is a part of. And I think maybe some of the further west ones, but I couldn't swear to that. Yeah. Um, so this this story was chosen, Rusty Peters um, says often that it's a big story. Um, and by that, I think he means a few things. I think one, one interesting part of this story is that it covers a vast area of Gidja country. So this dreaming man moved through Gidja country from right down in the south right up to the western reaches. So some of the places are quite close to where Warman is now and others are, are way up um, towards the Gib River Road and six hours drive from Warman community on rough roads. So it's a big story in that sense of the, the area that it covers and the sites along that track are all significant parts of that story. It's a big story because um, it concerns really important tenets of Gija law. Um, the story of the moon is about mortality, for one. It, it's, it concerns the the kinship system for Gija people that underpins um, all kinds of aspects of the law, including marriage and betrothal, um, and different codes relating to how people can, can interact with each other, what kinds of language and relationships they can have according to how they were born into that kinship system, which also relates to the natural world. So um, this painted by Shirley is about that as well. And obviously the moon, I mean, the vastness of the sky and, and the importance of the moon as a celestial body and as a marker of time. And um, it's very much tied to food gathering and availability um, in, in the Gija world. So it's a very important story. So it was one we felt um, was so rich and, and central to Gidja people that it deserved some very thorough analysis. Um, and there was one more thing I wanted to say about that. Oh, the, the painters, that some of Warman's most well-known painters, most, most well-regarded painters paint that story. People like Rusty, Rusty Peters, Mabel Julie, Phyllis Thomas, Queenie Mackenzie used to tell that story. The story as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the recording in the other room by Jack Britton yeah. was also told to me in 1988. Mm -hmm. Hector Jundane, I'm saying his name, he's passed away. Yeah. Um, they, all those old, earlier Gija artists painted this story. Yeah. And today it is Mabel Julie is Rusty Peter's sister mm -hmm. and she it's her iconic image is the moon yeah. with the star that was his promised wife yeah. that he rejected. So So it's 
it's important to the painting story, I guess, in Mormon as well. Um, it's, it's become a, a very special story that's, that's been shared by artists through their the work. The story well. is actually repeated in neighbouring areas as well. You know, the Mirawong talk as well about, it's just to the north, about the moon and his mother-in-law and even to the east, the book by Deborah Bird Rose called Dingo Makes Us Human is because the dingo chose death and the moon chose, and, and it's also to do with mothers-in-law. So it's repeated, it's big across the Kimberley. Yeah. So we might move around and talk about individual work and draw out some of those elements. Maybe we could start with Shirley and the idea of kinship. Kinship is what underpins the, the story. There wouldn't be a story if, if there was not a skin group so system. Perhaps I'll give a potted version of the story now. Um, so the moon was a man, his skin name was Jordan. Um, and it came the time for him to choose a wife. So he sat with his old people, a big group were, were gathered. Um, and Rusty says his mothers were asking him, but so, or some people say people were asking him. Some people are more specific and say it was the women of Nyajari's skin who were his mothers that asked him, which woman, which woman do you want to marry? Actually, the way Mabel tells it is that he goes off hunting for kangaroo, comes back with a wallaby on his shoulder, walks back into camp, throws it on the ground and sees a beautiful woman sitting down on the ground with long black hair. And this woman is Nambin, and that's his mother-in-law. So he sees this woman and her, his heart starts beating for her. He looks sideways at her because he's not allowed to look directly at her as she's his mother-in-law. But she absolutely captivates him and he can't stop thinking about her. So when it comes time and the old people ask him, which one, you know, which one of these Nyawana women would you like to marry? This one? This Nyawana? No, 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 not that one. What about this Nyawana? No, not that one, not that one. What about this Nyawana? And they say, well, which one, you know? These are, all the, these are all the women who are the right skin for you to marry. Which one do you want? And he says, Dawian, Dawian, which is... This word's repeated in almost every telling of the story, and it's an avoidance term. So he can't say his mother-in-law's name. That's, that's against Hijab law. So he uses this word, Dawian, Dawian, and it sort of causes confusion. And maybe Julie says, they should have picked up, they should have caught on. That he used that word because he was talking about that numbing that he'd just seen sitting on the ground. That, that word, Dalian Dalian, that they all say, that they say, oh, it's just the word they use to talk about us sideways, is a little bit like the word Daul, that means the black headed snake, which is what that woman that he really wanted became. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. They get furious with him because that's just absolutely against Gija law and, and incredibly disrespectful and just wrong in every sense. So they, they berate him, tell him to go away, you know. 
what are you doing loving your mother-in-law? You know you can't marry her. You know, you've, got, you've got a daughter as a wife. You can't marry her. So he takes off from that place in anger and walks upstream, doesn't he? And some of the sites he stops along the way, and we'll tell you a bit more about those places, but eventually he ends up at Yarim, which is a place on Springvale, what's called Springvale Station now, the place that was visited in the helicopter. And he walks right up to the top, and he stands at the top, and he curses his people and says, when you mob die, you'll be gone forever. Your bones will become white in the sand. Only I will keep coming out. So Mabel says, that's what happened. He dies for three days, he goes out for three days, and then he comes back as the present moon. And every month, as we know, the moon disappears for a while and then he comes back. But where all our fate from that moment was to be mortal. Um, because of the moon's anger and the way he was treated by his people for wanting the wrong the wrong woman. So the concept of Gigi kinship is central to this story. And this story is central to the teaching of those concepts and the, the maintenance of those um, relationships and codes. And Shirley Hurd has done a depiction of that system here. I don't know how much... Can someone remind me of the time? Because so, you can go on for an hour about each of these things. You've got about 35 minutes. Okay. Um... So it's a complex system, so I'm not going to try and describe it here, but maybe probably an important thing to note is that um, dreaming, in dreaming stories, human characters interact. And you can help me out here, Number Jim. Um, and in a lot of dreaming stories, they go through some sort of metamorphosis into the rocks, well, the parts of the landscape. When significantly dramatic things happen, um, people, the people who, ancestral beings who were human when these events were taking place, um, when the moon went up to the side of the cliff at Yarin and said what he said, lang ein lang ein you know, your bones will become white in the sand, you won't come back, I will only me will die and come back. Then the world changed and the people who, those beings who were human at that time became trees, rocks, the black-headed snake, the mo- and he became the moon. So, but they were people. Yeah. They were humans with human feelings and characteristics and a human... Um, a human law system like the eight groups of the eight kinship groups into which everybody's born. Yeah. So, so all, of the, all of the parts of, the, of the, the natural and physical world now, rocks, trees, um, animals, birds, were all human. So the ancestors of those things and creatures were human beings in the dream. And, and so now, in, in, the, in the shape they take now, they retain those skin names and those relationships to, to each other and to human beings. So from this story, the moon is Juru's skin, because um, when he was a man, that was his skin. The black-headed snake, who he so badly wanted to marry with her 
gorgeous black hair is was Nyawana. Um, he was Dumbi. Dumbi, sorry. Like me. <laughs> but Nyawana, who he should have married. Um, this hill in, in Bonalu is is Nidwariya, who is Nyawana's skin. So that's one feature of the landscape that, that was the woman that he should have married. What else is Nyawana? The stars. The stars. So in, in Mabel's uh, painting, she often depicts the moon alongside the star, who should have been his wife. So the jilted, the jilted promised wives are the stars that join him now in the sky. Um, who else was important? The Nyajans, who were his mothers, who told him no, he couldn't have the woman he loved. They became trees, which Rusty um, has painted in the other room. It's hard to talk about one story because then you want to talk about the other one and they're all very connected. But there are also some rocks that stand up um, near a certain place from Springvale. The three mothers who, who berated him are, are now. And, and his brother-in-law was the nail-tailed wallaby, Gororongwing. Yeah. Um, and one of and Rusty's painting that's on the cover of the book is about the nail-tailed wallaby and what he said when the great change overtook the world. So So we might um, move to those paintings in a minute, but we could tell a little bit about Phyllis Thomas's story, which actually happens before the big gathering. So it happens further south, is it, in London? Yeah, it's... uh, This is... On the Audrey It's somewhere on the Ord River. No, no, I think it's somewhere on the Ord River. Yes. For, but in the middle reaches of the Ord River, somewhere near Chinaman's Garden that's south-east of Turkey Creek, of Wadwam. Yeah. So. so this is a place called Nunnamun, um, called Island Yard, by non-Aboriginal people. Um, and this is a site where the moon was swimming with his... Well, with a lot of women, some people are specific oh, and say it was his proper wives. Some, some people... We have... There's, everybody's got a different version of who he was swimming with. Some say with one woman who was his girlfriend, and some say with a group of women. As the moon dives in, yes. the women who are standing on the bank talk about him. Yes. And when he resurfaces, he says, so what do you say about me? They say, oh, you just got beautiful tribal scars and you're just, you're just a terribly good-looking man. And what they really said was some pretty explicit stuff about his genitals and how he's ugly. And, um, so he says, all right, well, it's your turn to dive in now. And they dive in. And speak about him when they're under the water. No, he speaks oh, about them when they speak about him while they take turns. Yeah. And they come up and say, So what'd you say about us? And he says, Oh, you've got beautiful breasts and just gorgeous long hair, you're just such good looking you're just such a good looking woman. And actually, again, he's he's sort of swearing about them under the water. So um that's an interesting part of the story. And all along it's sort of got this tension about sort of desire and sex, but also 
Also, it's also about kinship, as Francis explains in the book. Some of that swearing and play, playfulness between certain relationships, that's perfectly acceptable um, in your culture, but it's certainly not the kind of thing you would say about your mother-in-law or your brother. Or, but some relationships, that kind of playful teasing is, is okay. Joking, joking swearing. With some between some relationships, it's all right. So um, we might start moving now. I think so. From there, um, Gandhi walks upstream. Yes, Gondwa. 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 So we'll walk with Gandhi now, and he goes to this place. I guess next, Nambajin. Yes, he goes to that place in. Um which is Mum's country. Oh, Evelyn? Change room. Okay, yeah, the microphone. Thanks. She's on to it. <laughs> so this is a place on Patrick Mama's country called Uromulun, which is now the site of the, the Kimberley nickel mine. Yes, um, it's, half, it's like halfway between where the paintings, where Phyllis was painting over here right. and where this one is, which is the end of the story there. Yeah. Um, so you keep walking. Please take your chair. If you need any help, I'm happy to help. Um, and the next place he stops is the place that's called Gandhi, which, which sort of translates to meaning the moon place. And it's, it's at a river called the Little Canton. And at the Lupantan, he stopped and started to catch fish. And traditionally, Egypt fishing involved rolling up spinifex into long sort of tubes, I guess, and laying them in running water. So, and the fish would get caught on one side of the, the spinifex. Um, but what he did then changed the landscape forever um, because he caught the fish, and the little ones he threw upstream. upstream. So the very small fish, spangled perch, um, the, cat, the, the catfish, or like the little tiny, that little tiny catfish, Amgawi, yeah. little, little, all the little tiny rainbows and little tiny, tiny things. And then the big fish, the real problem the big food, species. This is know, species of fish, like Baramandi and Brim, he threw downstream. Because he didn't want the people there to eat them, is how, is how um, people describe it. Because he was so angry that he'd been denied the woman that he wanted. So that changed um, the habitat of those fish forever in those rivers. So you can see how the story encodes those meanings about the country and that knowledge of the country. And as he fished, he knelt down and left a present shape in the rock, an indentation which is about that big. Looks, looks like a crescent moon. Yeah. Sort of a bit like, yeah. a bit like that if you were mm-hmm. kneeling down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when they speak about it, they use a particular word. Is it garmi? Oh, garmi is is the word, Gija word, meaning to push the roll of spinifex through the water. A bit yeah. like a net. Yeah. A bit like dragging a net through yeah. the. People do it in the hot time when the water holes are fairly shallow mm. and drag 
drag it through the water to catch fish. So you can see how, you know, for contemporary, for young Gija people, a story is really important in that sense, not only um, because of the places that it concerns and their names and what happened there, but those details about, about traditional life and about the way people survived in that country, it's all there. And, and you can see how the language reflects how important that is, that, that meaning of pushing, specifically pushing spinifex through water to catch fish has its own word. There's one word. Um, and that's a very important place now that, that we visited. We've visited several times in the last years. So these are the mothers. Right near there, there are three, uh, three or four rocks that stand up that are the Nyajari women who he turned to stone when they denied him. Mm. Some of them turned into trees, as in the rest of the story here. Yeah, these are the two. The two and then are they? Yeah, yeah these beautiful white trees. Yeah. So. so, as Francis said, it, it was those words that he spoke. Then. But that made that, that skin group, um, the skin group Nyajari. Somebody of Juru skin calls everybody who is Nyajari skin mother. That's right. So that's how you can have some of those, those people who he called mother became rocks and some could become trees. Yeah. And you know, there are other beings who are also Nyajari. That's right, very so, many of them. And it's yes. the same with every skin. Yes. There are and, um, there, a lot of life forms that, that take that name, those eight names for women and eight names for men um, concern every every living thing. So on that note we have the, the Nyoans there, this, the stars that were his wives. And this painting is particularly special. I think it's got an extraordinary story which is in the dialogue and encourage you to read it because it's it's very moving. I think it's about the Nantel Wallaby who was and he was Jonah, so he was um, the brother of the wife, the promised wife, so the brother of the woman who he should have married. But the wallaby comes back to camp and finds everyone sitting down and the moon has stormed off, sulking, as they say. Um, and he says to the people, something's changed. What, what, did, you, what did you say to him? Where did he go? Something's different. This country has changed on us. And we're waiting to see what happened. This extraordinary moment where they all, where they know that something momentous, something profound has happened. But they're not sure what it is yet. And that, that change is, they've all, they've all become mortal. They've gone from beings that live forever to beings that die and become bones and go back into the earth. Um, and Rusty's, I can't do justice to Rusty's telling of it, but it's just, it's an incredibly moving moment. And I think, I think what, what is extraordinary about it is the way it humanises, you know, you really emphasise with those characters and their, their fear. Um, and then now to have Wallaby, Rusty always says, felt really sorry for the moon, you know. On the one hand, you think, well, that was the law. He broke the law, you know. They were only upholding what what people had done for, you know, forever, and they were trying to 
sort of protect the, um, the coherence and the survival of, of the group and of, of the community and of, of the environment. But he feels, feels for the moon and feels sorry for him and is angry at everyone for, for denying him and upsetting him. So it's really amazing part of the story. And what does he say about the stars in that one? Well, he says something, Rusty says something about that's why we get lost. I found this story very difficult to trans to translate, when um, partly because Rusty speaks in the third person plural, which is the right you know like you instead of saying he when he's talking about the nail-tailed wallaby, he talks he refers to him as they because you have to speak indirectly about your brother-in-law. And Rusty himself is skin like the moon, so he talks indirectly about the nail-tailed wallaby Janama, who, if Rusty were to marry straight, he would also call, which he didn't, um, he would also call the nail-tailed wallaby brother-in-law. So he... It, it, because people today still have these skins that are, that are identified with the moon and the star, and so, so it, it makes it living and human on a human level for people today. I mean, Mabel, when she's painting, she often speaks about, oh, that brother of mine, meaning the moon, because she's the moon's brother, the moon's sister, sorry, um, because she's nyawaru skin, so she calls all people who are juru brother. So she can't, she's actually not supposed to say his name aloud, although she can say the word ganding, but she can't say the word Rusty Peters because he, He's her brother. So it was very confusing to work out that Rusty was actually talking about the moment when the change happened. Everybody was feeling lost and confused. And it's a kind of multi-level thing because some of them became trees and yet they were still there saying, what's happened to us now, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's funny talking about this with sort of authoritatively, I guess, in some sense, when you talk, you have to have some confidence about it. But so much of this project has been about discovering what we don't know and what, as white fellows, we don't understand, you know, how these parts of knowledge are connected, how they work. Um, yeah, it's, and it's just incredibly rich the more you... The more you go into this story, the more you realise there is to understand and how I never will, I don't think. And also, people say, you know, as they grow, as they grow up, as Mabel grew up from a little girl, she would have heard different facets of that story. Different things would be revealed to her at different times according to her age and according to what she was ready to hear in terms of Gijalor and her, her um, maturity into an adult person. Um, yeah, how's our time? Does anyone know? We've got 15 minutes. Okay. I'll just lastly talk about this old man here, Jama, um, Mick Jology. So he, he's, a, he's a, a castaway now, but he's um, 
was an incredible old man and an absolutely captivating storyteller. Um, but his country is a long way from many of these artists. Well, his country is not, but he ended up living a long, a long way from the artists who now live at Warman. He lives right up um, at Imanji Community, which is up on the Gib River Road. And, um, northwest. Northwest of in Warman. the northwestern parts of Niger country. So that story stretches right up into that corner of Gidja country, which is a long, long way. And um, it's interesting because this similar event, he describes similar events taking place in a different spot. Doesn't yes. he? Yes. The, the moon walking up to the top of the hill and cursing humanity to mortality and then becoming the moon. He, he says that happened at a place called... Godford Gorge, um, right up in the top corner of Gigi country, which is one of those things that does my head absolutely. You know, I think my non-Aboriginal brain of storytelling is there's no well, if it happened there, it could possibly have happened there. You know, there's a thread. And um, do you have anything to? Similar stories tend to be repeated across the Kimberley and placed in the country of different people and it doesn't make them less real because it happened right at Springvale Station, where Springvale Station is in Yarin now, and yet it also happened further away for that old man, further northwest, because... I don't have any explanation as no. to and why it's repeated in different places. Yeah. So. And the first um, boards that we looked at hadn't heard of, of the story up there. So it's been a really interesting project in the sense of Gija people having conversations about the story as well. Um, we have a little bit of time for... I think we'll do some questions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is there anything anyone would like to ask? Oh, sorry. Um, I've, I've actually got a number of questions, I hope you don't mind. Um, that I was. I was just really curious about the representation codes. So the moon, the moon is invariably represented as the crescent shape. But that's really a representation of the marks in the riverbank, the rock marks. Like it's sometimes it is, but I think in the case of these paintings. But what do you think about that? Um, I think that although they, there is supposed to be also a crescent shaped up on the side of the hill, like the crescent moon. And I also, I th another thing that strikes me is that by painting it, him as the crescent moon, it is when he comes back. So it's been, he's been, it's been dark, and then I hadn't really properly registered where you first see the crescent moon until I'd been working on the translations for this exhibition and there it was when I'd driven from Kananara down to Warman 
there he was in the west, just over the horizon, being reborn. So I suspect that it's also very noticeably the moon if it's a crescent. It's more iconic. But it is what you see in the hole in, you know, the impression of his knees looks like a, a crescent moon, but the actual rock is supposed to be like a crescent moon. But I haven't seen it. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand it because, because of, of course, there's the two impressions. There's both knees, aren't there? There's both knees, but only one. Together, it makes a, it makes the whole crescent, I think. Ah, okay. The, the next thing, the, the star represents the promised wife, but, it, but often it's talked about a whole class or a whole number of women or sisters, and then there's this connection with the Pleiades, possibly. So again, curious why always one star. I don't know I don't know why there's one star. At, at, at certain times of the year, you can see they don't say the seven sisters in Gidja country like they do in other places, but at certain times of the year, you can see two stars very close to the moon. You can, you can also see um, Venus next to the present moon, the rising moon. So, so maybe it's Venus. I mean, I mean, at certain times of the year, you can see that crescent and the star. That's the first star in the sky that we see. And all together. They mean Venus because that was well, some star. Yeah, but there's two stars that are really stars, not Venus. But are because that's called Jiribal, it has a different name altogether. The two stars have the names Jungubal and Nyitbaria. And Nidbaria is also the mountain that's in the other, that's painted by Patrick Mung, who that is of yes. Nyawana skin. And Jungubal is also a name that goes with Nyawana skin that was given to my daughter because she's Nyawana skin. So, I'd, but they were the names of the, of the two stars that appear near the moon. But why Mabel always paints only one star? I have not actually asked her. So. Just one more question. Oh, um, uh, from what I've understood, there's no depiction of the really significant woman, the black-headed snake woman, is there? It, or is she there? doesn't seem to appear in the stories, in, in the paintings. No. She's she very occasionally, but Mary, Mary Thomas sometimes oh, yes, paints her. Like Mary Thomas has painted oh, yeah. an actual black-headed yeah. snake. But, but Mabel, who's, who's really the main painter of the story, hasn't, as far as I know. She appears in every version of the story, but very rarely in the paintings. Yes, that's what I was curious about. Yes. I had a mistake. No, no, that's right. There's a Mary Thomas painting that we nearly used because we couldn't find a photo of the black-headed snake that does have a very clear black-headed snake. Alright, if there are no other questions uh, formally, um, Anna will be available for about 10 minutes to just um, speak to anyone who would like to.
and uh, the catalogue is $30. It's um, uh, available at the front desk, and uh, as is the catalogue for the other exhibitions. So they're, they're fabulous resources with a lot of research and information and really do complement both exhibitions. Uh, I've also been handing out um, the invitations, which have got public program events, and there are some more coming up for both exhibitions. They're all free. They're at the gallery, so um, we hope to see you there. So thank you very much. Please thank you. your background briefly because we've you've sort of come in and I'd like people to actually know your work in the area. Oh. <laughs> oh hello, I'm Frances Coford. I've been working with East Kimberley languages for a long time since I was first set foot there in 1971 when I was sent as a research assistant by the University of New England. I wrote an MA honours thesis about the Mirawong language, which is spoken in the Kununurra area and then in 1987 I got a job to help in a school language program for Gija language. Gija is the next language south from Mirawong and Mirawong and Gija languages are related to one another. They're in the same family as you might say French and Spanish are related to one another and neighbours. So they're different but they have similarities. And ever since 1987, I've been doing various projects with both Mirawong and Gija people. I helped set up the Miramadawangwulabgaring Language and Culture Centre in Kananara, and I've been doing... You know, I worked on this catalogue. The last thing I worked on for Gija before this show was a... Um, was a set of stories and for which the Gija artists did paintings about Gija perceptions of seasons and climate change. Um, Could you be able to speak a few words of Gija for us? Would that be appropriate? Oh, Jarak Kanan Nari Gijam I just asked you, are you all feeling good? And you say, oh, you might say, oh, if you feel good. So, and Buramang Arakari Bumbaramang Bangagimba Jaliji Jalijim Gijam Narakalawuraram Gora Goram Gijamba. Jarakalan Nalain Karan Mularunganan Marangari Brai Galangan Moan Nanangab Burunbu. I just said that I'm sorry, you know, I'm really wonderful old people who've made lots of wonderful things that are here. And I'm really sorry that they had to get on the plane and couldn't be here for to speak to you. So a lovely note to end this on. Thank you very much.